are going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, for those of you who are visiting for to- today and you're not aware of which study we're going, we're going through the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 3. Um, today we will be reading from verses 1 to 14, but we're obviously not going to get through all those verses, but we'll try and unpack um, the text which is presented before us today, just to see what the Lord would would have to say to us and what he would have us consider. So before we actually read the text, let's have a quick word of prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, um, we are ever so grateful for the fact that we can call you Father, for the fact that we are in relationship with you, Lord. We looked last week that We were Gentiles without a hope, without a future, without a God. But Lord, you have made it possible so that we can come into fellowship with you, right relationship with you. And Lord, it is a privilege. Thank you, Jesus. And so now, um, Lord, I just would like to call upon your name, Lord, for those who are here today and they don't know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict of sin and of unrighteousness and that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will draw people unto yourself. I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to convict those who know you and are not walking uprightly, Lord, as they should be, Lord. That, Lord, you would not bring condemnation, Lord, but you would bring conviction so that we can be more like you. Lord, you said in your word that you've given us power, 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 power. So we have everything at our disposal, Lord, which pertains to to godliness, Lord. And so help us, Lord, to understand these things as we look at your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you're in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1, if you're there, please say amen. Amen. I hope I haven't scared you so far this morning or this afternoon. It's not my intention. But let's read from verse 1, and we'll take it down to verse 14, and perhaps it will make sense as we go through the text, just to see why we're doing it this way. Amen? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men 
as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Powerful portion of scripture. And just to have a brief recap, if we may, last week we considered how the Gentiles were far off, far off from the promises of God. Far off from the promises of God and without any hope. But as I prayed, because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, the walls of separation that brought racial division and centuries of contempt between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. And God has now fused together both Jew and Gentile, to form one new man. Now, the unveiling and the preaching of this mystery was something that had never been heard before. You know, for the Old Testament, God had given hints to the Old Testament prophets that somehow he was going to bring the Gentiles into, into his promises and into relationship with him. But the prophets of old, they just couldn't see the big picture. They got glimpses. They didn't see the church age. They, as I said last week, they saw the Messiah. They saw the Messiah. They thought that there would be two Messiahs. Because they saw Messiah ben Joseph, and then they saw Messiah ben David. Ben meaning son of. Son of Joseph meaning he was going to be a suffering Messiah. And son of David meaning he was going to be a conquering, reigning monarch. But they couldn't see the in-between, and they didn't realize that it wasn't two Messiahs. It was one Messiah, but two comings. And so... The message which Paul is preaching now, which he is teaching, you know, for Jews, it, it, it was not easy to accept. On the day of Pen Pentecost, it wasn't Gentiles being saved. It was Jews who were being saved. 
And they heard the message, but they didn't quite understand the message either. They, the, the Jews who were being saved from the day of Pentecost, they believed that, you know, it was, good, it was okay for a Gentile to be saved, but they would have to go through this process of observing the law. Become a proselyte of some sort. Following Judaism. And then once they've gone through following Judaism, then they will come into right relationship with, with Christ. And... The Orthodox Jews at the same time, you know, they didn't necessarily have a problem with Gentiles coming into relationship with their God. But again, it was a process of, of being proselytized. They would have to follow Judaism, the laws of Moses, the ceremonial laws. You'd have to get circumcised. You know... The Jews who were being saved didn't necessarily believe that you could skip from just being a Gentile to being in right relationship with God. You had to go through the process. And if you can remember when Pastor Robert was going through the book of Acts, that is, is the whole issue on the table in Acts chapter 15. Because people were coming down and saying, well, it's okay the Gentiles are being saved, but they have to be circumcised. And so there's a big dispute and everything to the point that Paul had to go to Jerusalem. They had to have the Jerusalem council. And then they determined from the Jerusalem council that no, Gentiles don't have to go through Judaism. But what they encouraged them to do was to abstain from things offered to idols, abstain from sexual immorality, and from things strangled and from blood. You can read it in Acts chapter 15. And so, if you can get the picture in your head, you had Orthodox Jews thinking, well, it's okay for them to know the God of Moses, but you have to do it in this way. And then you've got the Jews who are being saved and are accepting Jesus as Messiah, but they're saying, well, it's okay for Gentiles, but you still have to go through the process of being proselytized. You have to... Go through the ceremonial law. Observe all the rituals and all the feasts. And I don't know if you remember when um, Peter went to visit Cornelius. And at first he's like, I don't want to go into a Gentile's home. And he's, he's, he's got his own thing in his mind. And the Lord just has to sort of like jump in and just, you know, land the Holy Spirit on Cornelius. He start, they start praying in tongues and Peter's like, whoa, what? The same things were happening to Jews are happening to Gentiles. So this is the picture which is trying to be presented to us. That they didn't get it. They didn't understand that you could just come into straight relationship with the Lord. And this created so many problems. You know, Paul's message which we are looking at right now, that God has made us one, it was hard to digest. And Paul is saying here that, you know, this message, it was there in the Old Testament, hidden, but now it's being revealed. Now can you accept it? 
that God from, from having two is now made one. He's made us unified together. And in this new society that God has made, you know, it says that the scriptures tell us that we have this unlimited access to the throne room of grace. And within this oneness, the Lord is expecting us all to demonstrate this oneness towards each other. So we can say, well, fine. God, you made us one. Cool. Wicked. It's safe. What do we do with it? And the Lord's expecting us to, now that he has made us one, that we should start living as one. Being accountable to each other. You know, helping each other. Esteeming others as being higher than ourselves. Not always looking for, you know, the, the privileged position, but, you know, giving up a front seat, good. I'll happily take a back seat. And these are things which, as believers, we kind of like struggle with because, you know, we want to be recognized for the things we do. We don't want to seem like we're selfish, but at the end of the day, we want what we want. And some of us are more selfish than others, and we looked at that last week. And so this concept, this thought of oneness, you know, this is what Paul is really trying to drive home, to get it, that we're one, that we're unified. And he wants, you know, the first-hand hearers of this message, he wants them to get it. Because they were made up of Jew and Gentile, which in this hall right now, I don't think there's any Jews right here. So they, were, they needed to be unified. The Jews couldn't look at the Gentiles and think that they were better than them. But then the Gentiles couldn't just look at the Jews and take it for granted that, oh, now I've got the same rights as you, safe. I'm just as good as you. It had to be that equilibrium there. And Paul really wants them to understand it. And, he re- you know, the Lord really wants us to understand it as well. Oneness, to be unified. And so, he says here, for this reason. For what reason, Paul? I mean, when I read this, I ask that question. For what reason? What, what reason we're talking about here? For the reasons which he has listed... In chapter 2, from verses 16 to 22. You know, because God has made us one new man, one body. For the fact that we were afar off as Gentiles, but now we've been brought near. Because we're, we're equal and we have equal access to the throne of God. Because we're fellow citizens in the kingdom. Because what we believe in has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Because God somehow is building us up and making us grow into a holy temple of the Lord and built together for a holy habitation of the Lord. Because of all these things, Paul is in this position right now that he feels compelled that he wants to make a response He wants to make a response to this revelation he's got from God. 
And what he actually does is he, he sets a good example for all of us. Because, you know, again, you know, guilty. I hear things, but I don't always do what I know to do. It's like I hear things and that's good. I put it on the back burner. I'll do it later. I live in that world. Does anybody else live in that world? Paul sets an example. He's saying, do you know what? Because of what we know, it should have, it, it, there should be a response. It should, it should determine now how we act, how we live, how we conduct ourselves. The first, the first thing what he wants to do is he wants to pray. But he's not going to get there just yet. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And yes, Paul was a prisoner in Rome. And it is believed that at this time of him actually writing this, he had been a prisoner for five years. And Paul was literally placed in this situation because of this very message that he was teaching. Because he was teaching that Jews and Gentiles are one before God, he was banged up, put in prison. And if you remember, in Acts chapters 21 and 22, they accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. We looked at the temple last week, and that Gentiles were not even, not even near, the temp, near the temple. There was five steps, a wall, and then 19 steps, and then a wall. They, they, didn't, they couldn't even come close. And so they accused him of bringing this Gentile into the temple, and it caused a riot because they wanted to lynch him. And in the process, the Roman guards came and protected him. And so Paul says, you know, can I talk? Can I, can, can I, can I just share with them? Because they've got it all wrong. And he starts preaching. He starts sharing to him. And soon as he got to the point where he says, and God has made both Jews and Gentiles one, a riot. I mean, try and picture it. The Jews weren't having it. And so he had to be escorted from there. And so when he says, you know, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, you know, he was literally a prisoner. You know, people, people can say that Christianity is just for, you know, the goody goodies. People don't do nothing wrong. We've got people who are in prison, banged up in the scriptures. Off key. He was a murderer. But the grace of God was being outpoured upon his life. And the grace of God is there, ready and available to be poured out on anybody's life if they will call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So he was a prisoner in Rome, perhaps for five years. But as far as Paul was concerned, in his reality, he wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as far as he was concerned, it was Christ who put him in that situation. How many of us can say when we're in a difficult situation that we know that the Lord has got me there? 
because he wants to show me something. He wants to teach me something. You may not necessarily understand the why, but the Lord's got me. And Paul, as we know, was specifically commissioned by Christ to preach to the Gentiles. And as far as Paul was concerned, he had no intentions of not being faithful to his calling. And so, with the Gentiles in his focus, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for you, Gentiles. Now, I hope you've got your Bibles with you because I just want you to look at your text for a minute. And those of you who are good at English, good at grammar, good at punctuation and all that. You may see here that there's no verb after what he says here. There's no doing word. Can you see that? Have I gone deep on people? Uh, it's verse 1. For this reason, I pulled a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And then when I go, we'll go in it. The next thing what says, there's no verb there. The verb, we'll take it further, actually comes down in verse 14. So, really, this means that everything in between... 12 verses from 2 to 13 are in parentheses. And parentheses is just a big word to say open brackets, close brackets. Therefore, for us to understand exactly what he's trying to say there, we could read it like this. For this reason, verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles... For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of all what he just said, or I just said in, 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 in chapter 2. Because of all those things there, I'm bowing my knees to the Lord. Oh, I just want to bow my knees. But Paul realizes something here. He realizes that he wants to respond in prayer. But he can't respond in prayer. And the reason why he can't respond in prayer is because the prayer is an application of what he's just said. And he doesn't think, he's, he's like, I'm not sure if they actually get what I just said. I'm not actually sure if I've really hit that nail. And they get in it, that they understand it. Not just know it, understand it. Remember, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. It's not just the knowing something, it's understanding it. I have my iPhone 4, I know things about it, but I don't totally understand it. I don't know all the functions. And the Lord wants us to understand his word and know the functions. Because we can know something and it makes absolutely no difference to how we act. But once we understand it, it generally forces us to respond in a particular way. 
generally. You could be here today and you're hard-hearted. Nothing's going to make you respond. And I hope that's not the case. So he wants them to be able to apply the application of his prayer. So he puts the brakes on. And what he actually does is he decides to repeat all what he has already said. And the simple reason why he's done this is because he knows that we're like little children. And little children learn by repetition. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had Gracie staying with us. And it's like you would have to say the same thing over and over. And she said this phrase, and I love it. No want to. No want to. No want to. It's my favorite thing at the moment. No want to. But you could see how, no, Gracie, don't do that. No, Gracie, don't touch that. No want to. No, Gracie, don't do that. No want to. No, Gracie. Repetition, repetition, repetition. You know what? Even though we may go up in age, it's the same thing. Repetition. Repetition, repetition. That's what we need. And you know what? Even in the Old Testament, you know, the Lord knew. Because repetition goes a long way to making something permanent. Doesn't necessarily make it permanent. But again, Forgive me, a little football analogy again. David Beckham, he didn't just turn up one day and could bend the ball over a wall and put it into the back of the net. On the training ground, repetition, 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 repetition. So now when he does it, it's like... And it's the same thing. It's the same thing in the positive. It's the same thing in the negative. You carry on doing something you know you shouldn't be doing... You're going to get good at it. But equally, if you carry on doing things you know the Lord wants you to do, there's a good chance you'll be good at it. Studying to show yourself approved. What about repeating that one? What about adopting a, a good, healthy lifestyle of prayer? Yeah, what about repeating that one? Repetition, repetition, repetition. And you know, in the Old Testament, God says, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little, there a little. Do you like the dance? Why do you think the Lord repeats it and repeats it and repeats it and repeats it again in that verse there? He's trying to come on, get it. We have to get it, family. We have to meticulously go over the same stuff so that it starts becoming part of us. The word of God is is quick, it's powerful, it's living. And if you allow that living word to take hold of you, your mind is going to start doing stuff inside of you. And you know, when we look through, when we look for, you know, you could ask, if you're a new believer, you could say, why you got four Gospels? They're all saying the same thing. And you know what? The Bible generally says the same thing. From book to book, it says the same thing. I mean, it may change a little bit because 
you know, they may be addressing some issue like maturity or Gnosticism or church discipline or something, but generally, you know, it's salvation by grace through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You see it in every book that Jesus is the only way. It's only his blood. You'll see it every single book. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And so, Paul is going to start repeating some stuff. And you know what? It always used to bug me when I used to read that. I don't know if it bugged you. Because it just seemed like, that don't even make sense. Like, it stops there. And then you go into this whole long thing. It's like, Paul, where are you going with this? And then you realize, oh, I get it. So, Verse 2, the beginning of the parenthesis. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Let's stop there. Now, the phrase Paul uses when he says, if indeed you have heard, in the original Greek is written is what is called the first class condition. So, you know, when we read it in the English, it's not, it's like, it's not, oh, if you have heard. It's, he's really saying, you have heard. You have heard this. You are familiar with this. That's what he's actually saying. You've heard this message before. And you've heard it, but I really, want, I really hope you understand it. And then he, he goes on to speak of the dispensation of the grace of God. And the word here for dispensation means management or stewardship now just to focus on this for a little while a common example in Paul's day of of a manager or a steward would be someone who was given the responsibility of being the head over a household or a manager over a household and they didn't actually they didn't own the house they just managed it for somebody else they functioned in the house. I don't know if any of you are old enough to watch Upstairs, Downstairs. They were servants in the house. They lived downstairs. They didn't own the house, but they managed the house. They made sure the house was clean and tidy and presentable. When people came, they opened up the door and made them feel welcome and announced who, who they were. And, you know, back in like Victorian ages. They didn't own anything. They managed it, though. Now... Maybe some of you, a good example of this would be Joseph in the Old Testament. He is a very good example of being a good steward throughout his life. And I say throughout his life because it didn't matter whether Joseph was in prison or whether he was elevated to the second most powerful person in Egypt. He was a faithful steward of what God presented to him. So now, this is where I'm driving at. The fact is, we look at Joseph's life, and we see that circumstances shouldn't affect our ability of being a faithful steward. It shouldn't. And we see in terms of stewardship, throughout the the scriptures... 
you know, in terms of the word used here, that God uses different people, different men, and different methods in order to manage his work. He gives different men, he has given different men different responsibilities throughout the ages. If you think about it, he used Adam in the garden before he sinned to be a steward, to be faithful over tending the garden. After Adam, you know, we have the patriarchs. They were given that stewardship. Then we have Israel and the priesthood and prophets and kings. Giving you a very quick history now. Then, in the fullness of time, we have Jesus as a son, faithful in his stewardship. Now, we have the Holy Spirit of God working through the church. And God wants the church to be faithful stewards over what he has given us. And so, all these things here are called dispensations. And in the Old Testament, you know, God's focus was primarily on Israel. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came and Israel rejected Christ, God turned his attention to the church and the church age. But one day the church age is going to stop and then God's attention is going to go back onto Israel. Israel's clock is going to start ticking again. And so Paul is saying during this uh, um, church age, God has given me a responsibility to be a steward. To oversee and to unveil the mystery of the church, which was hidden from the ages. And as I said before, Paul is committed to being a faithful steward, to fulfilling his purpose before God. Now, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then it goes on to say, moreover, more than that, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So God places a heavy importance on stewardship. And as we look at that, you know, for me, when I'm looking, I have to ask the question, you know, am I being a good steward over the things which the Lord has placed before me? And that's the question I want to resonate in your minds right now. Are you being a good steward over the things the Lord has placed before you? You know what they are. Are you being a good steward? You know, if you had to go and meet with the Lord now, would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant, my good and faithful steward? Would he say that? Or are there things which, you know, we all have to make those adjustments within our lives? Are there adjustments we need to make? 
I think we have to ask those questions as believers. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, I can confidently say that based on God's word, we all have gifts. They may not be like my brother so eloquently and graciously shared with us today. And thank you, brother, that was a blessing. Maybe it's the gift of just being nice to people, making people feel welcome. Maybe it's like Brother Mike. Sorry to use you again, Brother Mike, but maybe it's like Brother Mike, evangelism. That's his gift, and he's using it. Are we being faithful ministers of the, of the gift which God has given to us? Romans chapter 14, for as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Somewhere along the line, we're going to have to give an account for the stewardship God has given to us. Somewhere along the line. You know, the, the scriptures goes on and on and on. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to him, of whom we must give an account. So, a hard word, I know, but God is looking for an investment, a a return on his investment. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Jesus says, you shall be known by your fruit. Somewhere along the line, there's got to be some fruit here. And three times in this chapter alone, and 12 times in this whole book, Paul is talking about grace. Grace. And again, the law of repetition, I believe Paul is telling us something about grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. We have what we have because of his grace. He allows us to have it. And again, guilty just as the other person, but sometimes it just drives me crazy that we as believers take grace for granted. It's like we abuse grace. We sometimes as believers, or most of the time as believers, feel like we can kick back and do the minimum in our Christian walk. It's God's grace, isn't it? His grace is sufficient for me. You know, and this is why, you know, forgive me family, but this is why seven years down the line we're still struggling to get people to come and help us in the mornings. We still are lower numbers 
in Sunday school, in youth ministry. Things like this, you know, because, well, somebody else can do it, isn't it? That's not oneness. That's not what Paul's driving at here. That's not you looking at for my interest and me looking at for your interest. It's just not. And we can try and butter it up as much as we want, but it's not. And that's not fulfilling New Testament scripture. And that's why so many of us are finding difficulty because you're not committing to anything. You're not committing to anything. So why do you not see any change in your life? You're not going to Bible study. You're not coming to prayer meeting. You're not here for Christianity Explored. You're not getting involved in any way, shape or form. And then you wonder why you've got drama in your life. Some of you Christians longer than me, you've never been settled in one church. And the Lord is saying, you know what? Yeah, my grace is there, but don't, my mother used to say something, don't take me grace for puppy, sure. Paul's looking at God's grace and he's saying, what, Lord, you, you did this all for me? You, you, what? You went to the cross for me? You, now you've made us all one and we can come boldly before your throne and I can call you Father? Now that may not mean anything to some of you in there, but that means something to Paul and that means something to me. But, but, you did this all for me, Lord? But you know what, Lord, three times I came, I came to you with this thorn in my flesh and, oh, please take it away, Lord. You know what, Paul? My grace is sufficient. My undeserved favor is sufficient for you, Paul. So you know what? Get on with it. Because you don't deserve anything anyway. Now, I say all these things, and I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on people, but you know what? If the Holy Spirit lives within you, please allow that conviction to change something within your heart, within your mind. When I say heart, I don't mean, I mean the center of your being. You know, the time of just kicking back and letting somebody else do stuff is... is, is No, that is baby Christianity. The Lord's looking for maturity. Strong meat belongs to the mature. Now I can see a few people kind of like, you know, doing their neck and everything because they're getting uncomfortable. Good, it's the Holy Spirit. Let him do his work. And I'm going to touch on a little bit more. It interests me. Because we as believers, we kind of have this kickback attitude, yeah? But then, you know, we would look at the people who feel like they need to work for their salvation. And they're committed to it. They're committed to knocking on those doors. They're committed because they feel like that's going to get them salvation. They're committed to it. They're committed to leave America and come and do a two-year stint in a foreign country because they believe that's going to get them some reward before God. And we know that that doesn't do it because it's by grace, and we kick back. 
It's striking. And you know, I've been a believer 20 odd years. And trust me, it is not rocket science. What I've, what I've observed is this. It's the people who are just consistent. The people who get committed, get involved. They're the ones, you kind of like, somewhere along the line, somewhere the Spirit of God just does something. And he, you know, they love the Lord and he just does something in their life. And they're not going through all that drama. It, it generally is the people who are on the periphery. Peripheral, 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 peripheral. They're the ones, it's like a sniper. And family, we all have to give an account before God. I'm just trying to encourage you. I'm trying to provoke you. I'm trying to provoke you unto righteousness. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm just trying to say, do you know what? This is real. And... Galatians 6, you know, it says that, you know what, you can, we could all, I could be standing here, you could be sitting there. God is not mocked. We could be playing games with each other. God sees everything. He's not mocked. Whatever we reap, we're going to sow. And so, the dispensation of the grace of God. Grace. You know, the Old Testament, they were under law. You better follow these ceremonial things. You better follow these rules. You better make that sacrifice. We don't have to do that stuff. But we take grace for granted. And Paul is saying, look, there's this dispensation of grace, which you've got to get, family. You've got to get. And, you know, and I want you to understand it. I want you to really be committed to understanding and let it affect your lives. And so, okay, well, this grace, as we move on, you know, it can be seen in threefold. You know, the grace of the high calling of receiving this revelation was given to Paul, to God, which is undeserved favor. Paul didn't deserve it, but God gave it to him. The message itself was God's grace, his undeserved favor to humanity. And the recipients of this grace was you and me, undeserving Gentiles, and we have the commission to go and share this message with more undeserving Gentiles. The dispensation of grace... And Paul goes on to say in verse 3 how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I've briefly written already. And this revelation is where we get the word apocalypse from, um, and that's like the book of Revelation. It means revealing, it means bringing to light. And Paul is saying that this revelation of the church, this oneness, this thing we need to understand about Christ, God's given this mystery to me. Now, Paul's not trying to be big-headed about it. He's just trying to recognize, this is my calling. God is using me to reveal this stuff here. You know, it's not my own idea. I didn't just go in some corner and just conjure this whole thing up. God has given me a message to give to you. 
You know, it's a mystery hidden, but now revealed. Revealed at its appointed time by the Holy Spirit given to Paul. And again, you know, three times within this very chapter as well, Paul uses this word mystery. And mystery, mysterion in the Greek, doesn't mean like an Agatha Christie thing where you just can't work it out and everything. It's something which is, is there, and at, at its appointed time, it is going to be revealed. You know, um, the book of Daniel, for example. You know, the, the angel says to Daniel, seal it up, Daniel, until the appointed time. It's, it's not for now. The appointed time. But this mystery, this revelation, what needs to be unpacked, now's the appointed time. Now, exactly how it was revealed to Paul, the text doesn't actually say. But what we then look at is, you know, we look at Paul's character, we look at his life, and we see that the proof of his life, the proof of his character, the proof of his knowledge, the proof of his understanding, the proof that he was so passionate about this thing that he was prepared to die for it. Well, well we can say, all right, Paul, you know, that, that stands a lot of good ground there. It becomes self-evident. So he continues, he says, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So, what he's actually doing here is he's getting them to think back to what I've just written. Think back to chapter 1, chapter 2, all those blessings. Think back to all those things. You know, familiarize yourself with those things. Especially where it says that God has gathered together all things in one. All things... Um, in heaven and on the earth, you know, he's going to bring them all together in one in Christ Jesus. And he's given us an inheritance. Things like that. Start thinking about those things. And so he draws the attention to himself and reminds them of his own personal understanding of the mystery. Along with his application, as I've just already said, of the mysteries of God. Because for Paul... It wasn't just knowing something or understanding. It was like, right, how do I outwork this? How can, how can the Lord use me to affect other people now? It's like he's just looking for opportunities just to go and share this message. This is why Paul was prepared to be beaten Whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, placed in prison because he had a conviction of what he was sharing. It wasn't just head knowledge for him. It wasn't just something like, yeah, the grace of God, safe. It meant something to him. He was prepared to go through all these things for the sake of the gospel, but also... For the sake of the Gentiles, who before had no hope, no relationship with God. And Paul is saying, you know what, the Gentiles need to know that it's good 
God's all right with them now. And the Jews, you know what? You don't have to do that ceremonial law anymore. You don't have to make all those sacrifices. We can boldly all come before the throne and say, Abba, Father, Lord, these things were on my heart. These things were on my mind, Lord. Lord, I just want to present them before you and pray that you would have your way regarding them. They couldn't do that before. Paul was driven. And, you know, I'm not trying to say we must all be like Paul because Paul is like an exception to a degree. But if you aim for nothing, you're sure to hit. And we shouldn't really be aiming for Paul. We should be aiming for Christ. You know, we here at Calvary Chapel, South London, we take our Christianity seriously. Seriously. Because God's word is powerful. And if it's not powerful, if it's not able to change lives, we're joking. We're messing about with each other. You know, this is why we... We do the things we do. This is why those guys went out on Friday and tried to share their conviction in their heart about Jesus. It's driving them. And God wants us, God knows that as children we need to have it drilled into our heads over and over and over. But I've read it already. Yeah, read it again. But I know it already. Well, do you know it? Let it outwork it in your life then. But I did it last week. Yeah, do it this week too. Feeling me? God wants us to be driven and to fill our purpose in, in, in Him. Amen? We will pick up, because of time's sake, we will pick up at chapter 5 next week. I mean, ch- 4. Ch- chapter 3, verse 5. Um, can, we, can we edit that from the old. Uh, <laughs> uh, Verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. Yay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Your grace, Lord, help us to be in a place where we will not take your grace for granted. That we would recognize that, Lord, we don't deserve anything from you. But in your love, in your compassion towards us, Lord, you give us your grace. You give us this free gift. And Lord, we're not saved. We know that we're not saved because of works, but because of work, because of, of we're saved, Lord, we should want to work. We should want to please you. And so, Lord, um, this word today, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would use it, Lord, to challenge all of us, Lord, to see how we can give more of ourselves, not to each other, Lord, but ultimately to you. Because whatever we do in thought, word, or deed, we should be doing as if we're doing it unto you, Lord Jesus. And so, I do pray, Heavenly Father, that you would allow your word to resonate in all of our hearts and minds, that you would bring change. And the change will bring glory to your name. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not a lot to do.